Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Happy Hanukkah to all our listeners out there. I hope you are enjoying the holiday and not having too many donuts or latkes, trying to manage both of those things this year and not overdo it. Um, we are delighted to have a special Hanukkah edition this year. Um, and what gave me this idea for uh, today's guest is that Thank God, um, I have two sisters and brothers-in-law, uh, two sets in Israel, um, and they have 10 uh, children, Kanainahar total. And we are at a stage right now where there are lots of bar and bat mitzvahs happening. And so this is now the third bar or bat mitzvah in the family in just over a year. And so we feel very blessed to um, be able to go in for these simchas and join them there. Uh, but it's also a long trip. And one of our friends mentioned recently that um, Europe is so close to Israel that, you know, they just kind of pop over for these quick visits. And my husband and I were talking about once we're making this big trip anyway, maybe we should start using these extra trips to Israel as opportunities to show our kids a little bit of Europe for a few days on the way back. Um, and we kind of brought it to the family, you know, where should we spend our layover now? And we were, you know, coming up with different cities and we landed on Athens. And so I started to dabble a little bit into, you know, because as a, a kosher traveler, a kosher traveler and a, you know, an observant traveler, the first things you have to figure out when you travel somewhere is, you know, what will I eat? And if I'm there for Shabbos, what will I be doing for Shabbos? So, um, Facebook is an incredible way to, um, you know, just connect with people and find people all over the world. And we went to Panama and I got connections posting on Facebook. I, I highly recommend it. If you start traveling somewhere, just put a, you know, a post on Facebook to see who you know that knows someone somewhere and Jewish geography usually uh, kicks in. So I posted um, probably about six weeks ago, you know, who do I know that has a connection to Athens? Um, it turns out actually that my, um, one of my son's uh, best friend's aunts um, actually is living there right now. Um, so that was kind of an interesting connection that we got. And then um, we got connected with Rabbi Negrin over in Athens. Um, and we thought, you know, as we're thinking about Hanukkah content, what do we want to talk about Hanukkah? It seems like, well, let's talk about like, you know, we know what was happening in Greece, you know, over 2200 years ago uh, around Hanukkah time, but, you know, sort of what does Hanukkah look like in Greece, you know, with the way that it ended, fortunately? Like, how does that look? What is Jewish life like in Greece nowadays? Um, and so we are so excited to bring the rabbi of Athens, uh, Rabbi Gabriel Negrin, on as our guest this morning. Uh, rabbi Negrin, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, hello. Good morning. Thank you. Same to you. So I guess if you could, you know, let us know a little bit about, um, you told me before the interview that... Um, you you grew up in Greece, so um, and you know when you're kind of born in America and you've been here for a few generations. I always wonder how Jews got to different places in the world at different times. So, how long has your family been in Greece? And you know, um, and tell me a little about your your Jewish background growing up. So I'm um, I'm coming from a Romaniot family. Uh, that means that we are the uh, Greek Jews. Um, Romaniot from the word Romnios, which means the Greek. Uh, of course, the root is the Roman. Um, archaeologically speaking, Jews are in Greece at least from the third century or the fourth century before Common Era. Wow. Uh, so we we are here approximately two thousand three hundred years at least. Your family? Yeah. Wow. Uh, and. Um, we have our own traditions, unique traditions, and we uh, speak our own uh, uh, 
Jewish language, as we have Yiddish for the Ashkenazi Jews and Ladino for the Sephardic Jews, we have our own dialect as well. What's it uh, called? Well, we, we don't really have a name for it. Um, if you go into uh, bibliography, you can see, you can find it as Yavanic or Judeo-Greco. But um, among the Judeo-Greco speakers, we don't have a, a name for it. We just, it's our language. So. And so it was a combination of, of Hebrew and Greek? It's a combination of Hebrew and Greek, mostly, hmm. yes. So you're not considered Sephardic? Uh, personally, no, I'm not considered Sephardic, though the Athenian community is half Romanian, half Sephardic as well. Hmm. You know, it's fascinating because I think, I guess it just must be that um, the biggest communities get spoken about. Um, and that's sort of what, you know, becomes known to the world because growing up as a non-observant Jew, I sort of saw the Jewish community as Ashkenazi and Sephardic. And only recently, honestly, um, did I have a meal with a family that is Mizrahi, and they explained to me that they're actually not Sephardic either. It's sort of similar, but they never were in Spain, and they sort of had this different tradition. And so this is fascinating that... Um, so when you say that um, the Greek Jews were there, you know, for um, more than 2,000 years, meaning your family was there from before the Hanukkah story? It could be. It could be. Um, uh... I, we can trace our family background till the 11th century, though. Mm. Uh, so I can give you names hmm. <laughs> back so, there. But, what about um, well, that probably we are here as, as well. We're so here. can can you give me a little bit of a sense because this is really um, and so what what would the what's the Greek community called? Is there like a name that you go by? Your language doesn't have a name, but is there a name that we should refer to the Greek Jewish yeah. community by? The Romaniot. We are called the Romaniot community. Romaniot. Okay, fine. Romaniot. So um, what are, um, I guess, either highlights in Jewish history of, of the Greek Jewish community, the Romaniot? I'm just practicing saying it because it's a brand new word for me. Um, and also any like traditions that you have that are maybe different from um, some of the other known traditions uh, in the, the larger Jewish communities. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we are, we are quite a unique uh, Jewish community. Um, there are a lot of stages in our history. So we have the ancient history, and then after the destruction of the temple, um, the, it was a wave of Jews coming uh, towards Greece. Uh, that means that um, most of our traditions and minagim, even the alachot, are based on the Jerusalem Talmud and not the Babylonian Talmud. Hmm. Um, and also we have a lot of uh, traditions um, that that they come directly from the temple. Um, maybe I should mention that we every day we count also the years of the destruction of the temple in our morning prayer, as well as in Romaniot Ketubah, which is in Hebrew and not in Aramaic, as usually a Ketubah is. Um, you can find not only the date of the wedding, but you can find also the counting mm. of the destruction from, uh, of the temple, mm. um, the years of the since the destruction. Um, We have um, different liturgical music as well, um, which means that the the Romani or Jewish community developed itself mostly in the Byzantine Empire, during the Byzantine Empire. That means that we have a more Byzantine um, taste in our music 
and also the there are a lot of prayers into Greek as well. I know uh, I've heard the Byzantine also- Empire, but what is that if your music is Byzantine? Like, is there a way to explain that to the person that doesn't really know like what that sounds like? Uh, um, well, all the Jewish communities are influenced by the music of their environment. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you, if you go into an Ashkenazi uh, synagogue, you can hear a little bit of um, operatic uh, arias into the mm-hmm. prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to a Mizrahi synagogue, you can hear a little bit of uh, Arabic makam. Okay. Uh, and now if you come to our synagogue, uh, you can hear a little bit of church music. Ah, okay. uh, but the, the Greek Orthodox style, let's say. Got it. Okay, and what, how, how were the Greeks towards the Jews? I mean, I know obviously by the Hanukkah story, not so good. That was, you know, a, kind of a rough period. What, what was Greek Jewish uh, interactions like over the last two thousand years? You know, from what you've studied. Well, um, as I was like, like um, eighteen, nineteen years old when I first saw an Ashkenazi Jew in my life. I also learned about the conflict between Greece and um, and Jews uh, through Hanukkah when I was approximately 19 years old. Um, Wait, since... You didn't know about Hanukkah before 19? Well, I knew about Hanukkah, but I knew about Hanukkah and uh, Antiochus Epiphanes or Antiochus the Great or whatever, uh, which it's he was in the Greek. Um, so the Seleucids, at least as we learned history, uh, in the Greek school, they were Assyrians, they're Assyrians, they were not Greeks. Um, so that's why the conflict was always um, between the Hellenistic Assyrian Empire of Antiochus and and the Jews. Um, so you're saying modern day Greeks, I'm saying they don't, they kind of look at that as that, that was not us, that was an ancient people that no longer exists and we're not taking any ownership for the awful things they did. Is that kind of how it was framed growing up in Greece? No, no, not really. There is no, even in ancient times, uh, even in ancient times, um, Greeks were not related to Antiochus. They were seeing it as a barbarian, as a stranger, since he was a Syrian. That's why Antiochus was was called Epiphanes, because he he was donating all over the Hellenistic Empire money to show himself. Uh, but the nickname that was given to him, playing with the word Epiphanes, the one who wants to show himself, uh, was Epimanes, like um, um, like we call in Hebrew uh, a, a crazy person, a maniac, let's say. Huh. Um, so uh, Epimanes in Greek. Um, hmm. That means that um, even though Antiochus was, um, his empire was an Hellenistic empire, that doesn't mean it was Greek, and it wasn't here, geographically speaking, for sure, but it was um, down there into Syria. At the same mm-hmm. level, uh, Greeks, they don't find the Ptolemian Empire, a Greek empire, mm-hmm. uh, but mostly an Egyptian Hellenistic um, empire. So no one claims uh, any uh, Greek identity, gives, gives any Greek, Greek identity to Cleopatra, for example. So why to give to Antiochus? Interesting. Um, so we we never felt any conflict. Um, even in our prayer books, it doesn't say 
when we add the prayer of, um, of Hanukkah, Allah Nisim, uh, it doesn't say Malchut Yavana Resha, the ah. cruel Greek empire, but it says the cruel empire, or hmm. sometimes, or most of the times, it says the cruel Syrian empire. Huh. Um, even in uh, Mao's tool, uh, the word was changed. Originally, it says Yavan at the last right. um, phrase, but um, which is Greece. But in our Sidurim, it says Asurim Nigvetsuwalai. So, hmm. um, but that was a, a uh, that was a production of uh, you know being politically correct uh, here in Greece. But mm -hmm. historically speaking, Antiochus was not a Greek; was a Hellenistic Assyrian Syrian. King. The truth is that I've always actually been confused by that because it's Seleucid and Assyrian and Hellenistic and Greek, and there's sort of a lot of ancient terms sort of all floating together. And, you know, a lot of that was never so clear to me. So this is really fascinating. Um, well, you know, we also kind of... have to say that, that, sorry to disturb you, but we also have to say that Greeks were very selective of who was Greek and who was not. Mm -hmm. um, and don't forget that the one that they were not Greeks were called barbarians. Mm -hmm. So you understand that it was very, very difficult to get into the umbrella that is called a Greek person. Interesting. So now I know that the B'nai Menasha, the Jews that went to India, missed certain holidays because they left before they happened. Did the, do you know if the Jewish Greeks had Hanukkah? Um, like, do you know if that mm -hmm. got to? Yeah, we did have Hanukkah because always the Greek Jewish community was related and it was in a very strong connection with Israel. Most <laughs> of the Jews that came to Greece uh, before the destruction of the temple, they came as communities in order to serve a purpose for Israel. For example, we had the Jewish community in Crete to send goats for the <laughs> temple or hmm. it was a Jewish community in Corfu, up to the north of Greece, in order to create high quality etrogim uh, hmm. for Israel. Um, on the same uh, level, there were communities that they were in ancient centers, cultural and economic centers, like uh, Olympia, um, the place where Olympi the, the Olympic game started, Hmm. Um, so we had there a Jewish community because it was strategically correct to have hmm. representatives there. So hmm. they were always uh, in contact with, um, with Israel. And uh, several years ago, it was found a, a plague, a ceramic plague, that it was actually an order from the temple to the Greek Jews, hmm. an order for goats and other goods from Greece to, uh, to Israel. So, okay, so the Greek, so the group of people left after the destruction of the first temple, right? There was that exile, and mm -hmm. then they were sort of stayed out there and then started sending animals back for Carbanos for the second temple. Am I getting that correct? Yes, that, that was one of, the, one of the reasons Jews were out of uh, Israel, but they were always connected to uh, Israel. So we're talking about the times of the second temple. Let's say. What about um, putting the menorah outside the house like they do in Israel in one of those, I guess, sort of like in your doorway area? Is that a Greek custom? Well, today we don't do it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have to admit um, many lamps were found with menorahs um, 
on, on them. But I cannot tell you if in ancient times they used to put them outside the door or not. Um, mm -hmm. At least we don't have any archaeological evidence that proves such a thing. Um, but we know that they were uh, they were lamps with menorahs on them, if mm -hmm. that's related. What about um, Greek Jewish life in terms of yeshivas, in terms of, um, I guess, well, you mentioned, you know, sending the Karbanos back, but sort of in ancient times, were there any yeshivas or sort of how, do you have any idea how kosher food was procured or? Well, we, um, in ancient times, we don't know um, about, we don't know what was going on in the yeshiva world or, or if it was, um, uh, let's say, um, organized as we know it today. Um, we know for sure that there were scholars that were going back and forth from mm -hmm. Israel uh, to Greece. Um, but I believe that the, the yeshiva world was preserved in a much different way, um, also in Israel, from what we know today, which is a more, uh, um, if I'm not mistaken, Babylonian way. But still, uh, I, um, we don't have any... Uh, evidence of a formal yeshiva as we know it today, but we have scholars and, and rabbis and teachers that they teach here. Mm -hmm. uh, but kosher food is very interesting. We have um, also from the ancient times, but mostly from the Middle Age times, um, we have the strong opposition of the uh, South French rabbis uh, about the kosher wine of uh, of Greece, of Crete, um, particularly, because that was um, carried by Muslims. So mm. uh, it was a big debate, which was was not a theological debate or an alachic debate, but actually it was an economic debate that was based on an alachic issue in order not to uh, give the opportunity to uh, sell kosher wine from another place and 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 keep the monopoly of the French kosher wine. Um, so uh, the French rabbi said that this cannot be a kosher wine since it's carried by non-Jews. And the Greek rabbi said, no, but they believe in one God so they can carry the wine. So it was a back and forth uh, uh, answer and question, question and answer uh, with uh, those rabbis about the kosher wine um, of uh, Greece and, and, and other products uh, as well. So we, uh, we can see that there is a, uh, a kosher uh, production of hmm. uh, goods in Greece from ancient times till today. What about Greek philosophers? Because you have someone like Rambam that was a fan of Aristotle, and then you have Jews that were in Greece around the time that Aristotle lived. I just Googled that because I don't have that off the top of my head. Um, is sort of Greek philosophy brought into any um, Jewish Greek um, works? Is that anything that is sort of, um, I mean, other than just studying Rambam, but is, is were there any uh, Greek Jewish scholars that brought in Greek Jewish philosophers, sorry, Greek philosophers, there we go. Well, um, we, till today, we are raised with it. Mm -hmm. um, so I learned about Philo before I learned about Rambam, wow. Maimonides. 
Um, so Philo was, was from Alexandria, but was the, we can say he is the representative of combining uh, Greek philosophy with uh, Jewish wisdom um, in a such high level that uh, it was written for Philo that um, we don't know who is copying Philo, is copying Plato, or Plato is copying Philo, even mm. though Philon of Alexandria was uh, centuries after Plato, but he was in a, such a high level that was um, uh, it was worth it to compare him with Plato himself. Um, so uh, yes, we 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 did learn uh, till today. We learn about Philo, and he is in a very high um, position uh, in our understanding of of, uh, of Judaism. But also uh, during the centuries, Greek philosophy was part of the the Jewish community as it was part of uh, the non-Jewish community around the Jewish community of Greece. Mm -hmm. uh, no, so and no, we, you... we have practices that they are coming from that. For example, our Sifrei Torah, when they're in a tick, it shouldn't be circle because circle is the perfect shape, the rabbis say. So if it's perfect, maybe people will say that this is perfect and they will worship the wood. So mm -hmm. it shouldn't be perfect. It should be uh, a polygon. So people to understand that it's not perfect. Perfect is only uh, the Torah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, you know, just the fact I'm thinking about the, you know, a Jewish community being in one place for over 2000 years. Um, a lot of countries kicked us out all over the world. Um, how did the Greeks treat, um, you know, now that we've cleared up the whole like Seleucid issue, not being uh, locally Greek, how did the Greeks treat the Jews um, over these 2000 plus years kind of leading up to the Holocaust? Were there ever pogrom type of things or was it mostly peaceful? What were they like during the Holocaust? Well, um, it depends which era and what time of the, of the history. But generally speaking, the Greek Jews, they were always a solid and important part of the Greek society throughout history. That means that um, we never had pogroms in the level of Russia, for example. Um, we, uh, it is very interesting also to see if, if you see a painting of the medieval ages in Europe, in, in Western uh, Europe, you can actually define who is the Jew. Um, there is a yellow hat there, there is a bigger nose, or there are nails on the fingers, etc., etc. Hmm. But if you see a Byzantine painting, the clothes of the Jews are the same with other people. Hmm. The, the, the body language is the same, which means that the language was the same, and the characteristics are the same. And the only thing that defines the Jew on the, on the uh, uh, painting is because it's written on the top that these are Jews, as it's usual in a Byzantine uh, painting. Hmm. So... Jews were always part of the of the soul, part of the society, uh, and um, we never had ghettos. We never had a uh, hundred percent Jewish neighborhoods. We were mm. part of the uh, of the country of the of the society. So there were times, though, that um, to be here it was difficult. The Eustin the times of Eustinian, the Eustinian, the, the emperor of the Byzantine Empire 
they were uh, quite difficult because of uh, Christian antisemitism, mm -hmm. or uh, there were specific places um, that Jews were not welcomed. Um, most of the time, though, um, the Jews were part of uh, uh, of the revolutions. Mm -hmm. So the it, it was it, it was very difficult to distinguish between the Jews and the non-Jews. The Ottoman Empire uh, was also like that. So we had good times and bad times. Um, unfortunately, the the Greek Revolution also had good times and bad times. Um, but I have to admit that um, after the creation of the new state, things were uh, more stable. And also we celebrate um, next year, 2020, um, we celebrate 100 years from the recognition of the Jewish communities, a formal national recognition of Jewish communities in uh, Greece as a legal state body. So, awesome. And we have only a few minutes left, so I want to just kind of jump now to present day. What is the demographic makeup of um, sort of the Greek population today in terms of, you know, what per how many Jews are there today? What percentage are Shomer Shabbos? Um, where can you eat if you go to Greece today? That's kosher. So we we are not such a big community, unfortunately, today. Um, in the Holocaust, Greece lost the 87% of the Jewish population. Wow. Uh, and in specific places, the percentage was more than 95%. For example, mm. in Corfu, 97%. Uh, in uh, Yanena, 92%, in Crete, mm. 99%. So um, we lost most of the Jewish population in Greece. Today, we are only 5,500 Jews in all over Greece. Uh, most of us, we are centered in Athens, the capital city. So in Athens, we are 3,500 approximately uh, Jews today. Um, and uh, most of the people of the community, we, we are more traditional than uh, what, we, what we call in a more uh, Anglo-Saxonic way, from people. Mm -hmm. um, so we are more traditional. Um, and that means that locally there is no such a big need of uh, providing uh, kosher food outside. Mm -hmm. um, but we do have people that they eat strictly kosher in their houses. It means that uh, we have a kosher shechita mm -hmm. uh, in uh, in Athens and uh, a butcher store, so someone can buy kosher meat. Um, and we have several kosher products that they people can find find them in a normal supermarket and go with the lists. Uh, um, of the kosher products and uh, find them. And we have specific factories also that they produce um, like from yogurt and cheese to uh, bread and uh, pastry, etc., etc. Would you have a sense of how many Shomer Shabbos families live in Athens right now or in all of Greece? We have not so many. Not so many. Um, I can give you a number, but we're not so many. Got it. Um, well, this is truly fascinating. And um, I mean, I'm almost 40 years old and I never, I, ne I really just sort of had in my mind the Ashkenazi Sephardic divide. So um, it's, it's really tremendous to hear from people. I mean, this lineage for over 2000 years of the community 
kind of having their own way, but these also common threads that bring all Jews together. It's really uh, so fascinating to hear. And I'm sure our listeners are also so fascinating to hear your story. So um, we, uh, we really appreciate your time and we look forward to, uh, to seeing uh, Jewish Athens ourselves very soon. And thank you so much and have a wonderful Hanukkah. Amen. Hanukkah Samiach. All the best. Okay, all the best. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. Have uh, well, you can catch us here same time, same place next week. Bye bye.